Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Breakfast special. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Climate Connections. It's Ryan and Mart with you this morning. Today we'll be diving into the future of fossil fuels. There's an issue of contention at every high-level climate summit these days. Yeah, that's right. And if you have a closer look at the numbers, every year the world produces staggering quantities of fossil fuels, roughly 36.5 billion barrels of oil and over 8 billion metric tons of coal. Well, all of that goes to generate electricity and heat for our daily activities. Indeed, and that's why while some countries are calling for a phase-out of planet-warming fossil fuels, others insist on preserving a role for coal, oil and natural gas. So what would happen if the world suddenly stops extracting fossil fuels? Well, to put that into perspective for us, we have on the line with us now Dr. Swati Sharma, who's a lecturer at NTU School of Social Sciences. Dr. Swati, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much. A very good morning. It's a pleasure to be part of the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Dr. Swati, taking a look around at what we use in modern times, hypothetically, if fossil fuel production were to completely stop tomorrow, what would be disrupted? Would the world quickly grind to a halt? It is an interesting question. Considering how dependent we are on fossil fuels at present, a complete halt on fossil fuel production has the potential to disrupt our lives substantially, I would say. We use fossil fuels to meet most of our energy needs. And in this sense, fossil fuels power a significant portion of our economy. But let's just focus only on electricity and think about what percentage of total electricity that we consumed last year came from fossil fuels. The numbers are astonishing. Preliminary figures for 2022 suggest that this number was about 80%. About 80% of the total global electricity production was done using fossil fuels, coal, oil and gas. And imagine now that this much electricity is suddenly not available to us because of a halt in fossil fuel production. What will happen to our lives? We use electricity for almost all activities that are essential for our lives, such as lighting, cooling, heating, keeping our food safe and cold. We are referring to refrigeration, of course. Operating all our household appliances and electronics. Even more uses now as we are driving electric cars. So with no electricity, none of this will be available to us. In summary, uh, yes, fossil fuels have been central to our lives and economies for a long time now. But what is needed now is to lessen our reliance on fossil fuels and find alternative and cleaner ways to power our economies. Yeah, Dr. Swati, when I think about changing behaviour, I think about carrots and sticks. And just looking at the latest headlines, ahead of the COP28 summit, the EU climate chief nominee has proposed taxing fossil fuels on a global basis, including those used by the airline and shipping industries. How realistic is such a proposal? Yeah, well, uh, I'm not surprised if there are proposals like this. Many countries and regions already have this measure in place. Uh, For example, CO2 emissions from aviation are already included in EU ETS, the emission trading scheme of the EU. So all airlines operating in Europe are required to monitor and report their verified emissions and accordingly surrender their corresponding emission allowances. So airlines have a cap on their emissions, allowed to emit only a certain level, If they emit more than that, they're looking at spending more money on buying these allowances from the market. 
Another example is Singapore's carbon tax scheme, which is already in place and covers almost 80% of its total greenhouse gas emissions, coming from major emission-intensive sectors such as power and manufacturing. So if some countries are already doing it and we want to bring it to the global level, the main intention is to hold businesses accountable for their emissions and encourage energy-efficient and low-carbon operations. Also, use the tax money to develop a kind of fund that can help developing and low-income countries deal with climate change impacts. How realistic is such a proposal? Uh, in terms of agreement and implementation, of course, a huge task. When we say globally, we are talking about more than 190 countries. So implementing this tax and system globally means more than 190 countries should agree, not only on the plan, but also on technicalities, all rules of the implementation and everything else. So a huge task at hand, but then nothing is impossible. If we have the willingness to hold aviation and shipping accountable for their emissions globally, we can find ways of doing it. Yeah, it is a good idea to get to that destination, or at least um, the goal to move away from fossil fuels, but there's going to be some costs involved and some trade-offs. So how big of a strain will it be for the airline and shipping industries? And might there also be, you know, spillover effects into economies and livelihoods because jobs are at stake? Yeah, I agree. So let's think about how big of a strain. I would say when we start taxing or holding industries accountable for their CO2 emissions, some impact of it sweeps back to us as consumers and the overall economy in that sense. But just to remind our listeners about the importance of aviation and shipping in our lives, Singapore imports almost 90% of its food from other countries and regions. Most of it comes from neighboring countries, possibly by road. Nonetheless, a substantial portion from faraway countries is also transported by air and sea. So when air or sea transport becomes expensive, your food also becomes expensive. Nonetheless, it is worth noting that when uh, emission taxes are imposed on businesses, they have a choice to make. Either focus on making themselves less carbon intensive or pay the price of polluting the environment. But of course, even if they want to, they cannot make themselves less carbon intensive overnight. It takes time and can happen only gradually. So in the short term, when their overall production activities become more expensive, companies pass some of this increased cost to us, consumers. So we also end up bearing some brunt of these taxing schemes. But also, as consumers, I would say we have a choice to make. Consumers have no compulsion to keep buying from the same company or buying the same amount. They can decide to buy from companies that are less carbon-intensive and thus are not required to pass that emission cost onto their customers. Also, the public, all of us may consider keeping our expenses low by cutting our consumption of carbon-intensive goods and services. For example, saving electricity a little could help, at least cutting back on wastages as much as possible. So even when the electricity tariff goes up slightly, by bringing down our consumption, we can keep paying the same amount every month. However, uh, in this situation, we must take care of low-income families and disadvantaged groups. Such taxing schemes may unduly burden them. The key is to plan the adoption of such taxing schemes strategically with comprehensive planning and ensure that we look out for low-income groups by adopting other methods. Examples would be compensating them through targeted fiscal and spending adjustments, for example, GST vouchers or other similar methods. 
Dr. Swati, I want to look at this now from a higher level. The EU's latest draft document is set to push for global phase-out of fossil fuels at COP28. And there's one line that stuck out, and it reads as follows. The shift towards a climate-neutral economy will require the global phase-out of unabated fossil fuels and a peak in their consumption already in the near term. Now, in this instance, the word unabated was used in parentheses, which indicates that countries have not yet agreed on whether to include it. What is the rationale behind the sensitivity of wording in such negotiations? Yes, um, weddings are undoubtedly crucial in the text of global climate treaties or any treaty for that matter, which is legally binding. Talking about the word unabated, uh, it appears in climate discussions quite frequently. So when we mention phasing out of unabated fossil fuels, we are referring to the types of use of fossil fuels where no other technology is used to capture the emissions produced from burning these fuels. A coal power plant that does not use carbon capture or any other technology to capture resulting CO2 emissions could be an example of this type of unabated fossil fuel use. Thinking about should this word be there or not, well, uh, there is a lot of debate around this. Scholars, policymakers, climate activists, all of them are coming up with their own opinions on whether should we really emphasize phasing out unabated fossil fuels or the focus should simply be on phasing out all fossil fuels. One side of the argument hinges on the idea that abatement technologies are central in ensuring a sustainable transition to a net zero world. The other side argues that the word unabated is simply being used by some countries and lobbies to delay efforts to phase out fossil fuels directly. They argue that there is a systematic effort in place to preserve the role of fossil fuels in our economy. So let's see which side wins the argument. Mm. Now, Dr. Swati, in previous COP summits, countries and stakeholders couldn't really seem to reach much of a consensus on many issues. Are you expecting any different from COP28 then? Sure. Uh, I would agree. COP summits, far from perfect, uh, but certainly we are making some progress, slow but perhaps steady. COP27 was disappointing in so many ways, but some much-needed commitments came through in Egypt last year. Mainly related to climate finance, rich countries agreed to establish a dedicated fund that can be used by developing vulnerable countries to deal with the loss and damage caused by climate change. This is something significant. These countries have contributed the least to global warming, but suffering the most due to climate change impacts. So once we have an agreement on the establishment of funds, hopefully in COP28, countries will have discussions on what would be the committed amount, how the fund will work, how soon the fund will be available to use, and all other necessary details that will need to be discussed. It is expected that countries will renew their discussion on uh, commitment to phasing out fossil fuels. COP26 saw some dramatic events around it. Uh, The draft statement of COP26 initially used the word phasing out of unabated coal, which was changed to phase down at the last moment. COP27 saw some discussion on considering phasing down all fossil fuels and not only coal. Uh, Countries will likely resume their discussion on this, and the hope is that they reach an agreement this time. Lots of other discussions are on the table. A global goal for adoptions similar to the mitigation goal of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade. So in short, lots of crucial issues and urgent decisions should be on the COP28 agenda.
All right, that's a great overview of what to expect as we make this uh, transition from fossil fuels towards greener sources, lots of challenges and twists and turns perhaps in the journey. I've been chatting with Dr. Swati Sharma. She is the lecturer at NTU's School of Social Sciences. Dr. Swati, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me on the show. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.